This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. and junkies welcome to freaky friday it is a special friday edition of the nwa saturday special i am scott criscolo joined as always by the doctor dr g george Bellino. freaky friday freaky friday the pleasure is all yours and you know what we're going to confuse everybody now because now we're not going to talk about any nwa in this episode <laughs> no um First off, thank you very much for all of your support and your downloads and your listens for our shows last weekend, both the preview special and the reaction special for the Crockett Cup. Uh, congrats to, of course, Kate, uh, I almost said Cade Murdoch, to uh, Knox and Murdoch, who, of course, won the tournament. Um, so we're doing something a little different this week uh, because uh, there was really no episode of NWA Power this week. What they decided to do... Uh, this Tuesday at 6.05, this past Tuesday on 6.05 on uh, YouTube is redo some of the YouTube pre-show matches from Saturday and Sunday. I think these were from Saturday. And we're not going over them again. We already did. They did the hardcore team war with uh, the with Pretty Empowered and the other, and the other team with Samantha Starr. They had a couple of the first round tournament matches. They, they For some dumb reason, they're replaying the match where um, Rhett Titus and Tom Latimer lost to the fucking clowns. Who the hell wants to watch that match again? Um, and the Joe Alonzo, Alex Taylor match. So we're not, re- we're not going to rehash Crockett cut matches from last weekend. We already talked about them. So this week we've decided, um, to honor, uh, arguably not only one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, definitely one of the greatest heels of all time that we lost in the wrestling family this week. Uh, in case you did not know this past uh, Wednesday, June 7th, Kazro Viziri passed away. Hossein Kazro Ali Viziri passed away. For those of you that are casual wrestling fans, you're probably wondering who the hell that is. But for you diehards, you absolutely know who that is. Next to Rowdy Roddy Piper, this guy was probably the best heel in the WWF in the mid-1980s. We are, of course, talking about the man from Tehran, Iran, the Iron Sheik. Yes, the Iron Sheik passed away this past Wednesday at the age of 81. And maybe some younger wrestling fans know him as a hilarious twi- uh, Twitter account. Um, Dr. G, what is what, in your opinion, is the, was the Iron Sheik's best tweet? Fuck the Mondays. Fuck the Mondays. My favorite one was always, and the Oscar goes to go fuck yourself. <laughs> that was always my favorite. We get the we get the usual fuck Hulk Hogan. You know, we usually got that, and uh, you know the, the continuous threats to be Brian Blair. Um, break your back, make you humble. Um, the camel clutch. Um, and obviously, most people, you know, most. Fans remember him for being the amazing heel in the 80s, waving the Iranian flag at Madison Square Garden and getting killer heel heat, killer heel heat. And, of course, he was, for a month anyway, uh, the World Wrestling Federation what champion. The clubs, you know, the, the, the Persian clubs. Oh, the Persian clubs, the swings. Uh, that, oh, yeah. that, that I remember from when I was yep. really young. And uh, then uh, every time you do an interview, cameraman, zoom in! And he would do his posing. And, of course, him and Nikolai Volkov, the Foreign Legion, won the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team titles at the first WrestleMania, defeating the U.S. Express. Your sister's boyfriend's there, Mike Rotundo and Barry Wynn. They're the first 
It's the first championship to change hands at, at WrestleMania, you know, from the WrestleMania. It is. Up. It is. And they held the belt for a couple months, and then the U.S. Express won it back. But we're going to talk tonight about our, the history of the Iron Sheik and some of his highlights, and Dr. G and I will talk about some of our favorite Iron Sheik moments. Um, because this is a guy that's not just – he wasn't just the Iron Sheik, and he wasn't just Colonel Mustafa in uh, uh, Sergeant Slaughter's dumb triangle of terror in 1991. This guy was a great amateur wrestler and a tremendous professional wrestler and a guy that deserves our respect. Even though he went a little crazy and had some, you know, he did have some. Well, he had, he had a lot of substance life, but. issues, uh, but you know, I think in recent years, uh, you know, he, you know, because he had issues at home with his wife, and they reconciled. His wife really has st- stood by him. Um, for those that don't know, his wife is American, and yep. uh, you know, he had three daughters, and you know, one of his daughters did get murdered. So um, that that sent him over the edge at some yep. point. So, I mean, you know, he's had an interesting life, but it's a, it's a guy that really, truly, um, really wanted to make a difference in the professional wrestling game. You know, one, being an amateur wrestler and then wanting to um, to use his amateur skills to become successful in the professional ranks, which, um, like you said, I, I agree with you, probably, you know, the second best heel uh, in the 80s, uh, next to Rod- Rowdy Roddy Piper. I mean, yep. um, it, it's it's a shame. I mean, he was, even though it's a shame that he wasn't able to wear the belt a little longer. But obviously, when you have, you know, the most popular wrestler of all time, well, one of the most popular wrestlers of all time, yep. I mean, Hulk Hogan, you could consider it's an argument, whatever. Um, you got to do what you got to do, but he was the guy to 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 pass the belt along to Hulk Hogan and really help catapult uh, into the rock and wrestling uh, um, era. Right. Um, I am looking. Uh, well, I'm looking at something, but um, so let us begin. Because this guy's wrestling career uh, is kind of amazing, actually, when you really think about it. Um, uh, he was born in 1942 in uh, in the the Imperial State of Iran. Um, uh, in uh, what was the town? Damgan Senmen Province. Uh, a working class family, little money, no running water. Um, even though his passport reads he was born on March 15th, he celebrates his birthday on September 9th, or celebrated his birthday on September 9th due to his family alternating between the Gregorian calendar and the Solar Hedri calendar. In his youth, he idolized Iranian Olympic gold medalist wrestler Golamreza Takti, and he subsequently made a name for himself as an amateur wrestler. He also worked as a bodyguard for the Shah and his family for several years. Of course, he competed for a spot on Iran's Greco-Roman team in the 68 Olympics in Mexico City, then moved to the U.S. and became the assistant. I didn't know this, actually. Uh, He became the assistant coach of two U.S. Olympic squads in the 70s. I didn't know that. Um, In 1971, he was the amateur athletic union Greco-Roman wrestling champion and gold medalist at 180 and a half pounds. He later became assistant coach to the U.S. team in 72 at the games in, uh, in Munich. This is where I, I just, this is just amazing. So in 1972, as we all know, uh, Cosro was invited to become a professional wrestler by AWA promoter Vern Gagne. Trained in the, in the, uh, I forgot the name of the town in, in Minnesota, but in the barn there. And if you remember everybody, when you have those like, classes like the dream team like you know like when you're looking at college alums and college basketball players college football players going to the pros this class that Vern Gagne had in that barn in 1972 um, uh, is arguably the greatest collection of talent in a wrestling class probably in the history of the business you had The Iron Sheik, Ric Flair, Ricky Steamboat, Jim Brunzel, 
Obviously, Greg Gagne, but he doesn't count as his kid. And uh, Ken Patera. It's not bad. <laughs> How about that for, for a the class? The one I could think of is, you know, Randy Orton, uh, Batista, right. yep. John Cena. Yep, the OVW guys in 2000, 2001. And, Pretty and Brock, you know. But that's yep. that's probably the closest that could come yep. to that. I mean, I mean, Jesus God. They're all in the Hall of Fame, I think. Is Ken Patera in the Hall of Fame? I don't think so. I think he is in the Hall of Fame. I want to say he is. Uh, Steamboat, obviously. Flair, duh. Um, Jim Brunzel's not. I don't think the Killer Bees in their Hall of Fame. They should be. Um, so he first wrestled as a face, and then a promoter suggested he adopt a heel gimmick similar to the Sheik Sheik. You know, uh, what's his name? Eddie Farhat. By the way, did you see something? I meant to send a picture to you. For those that have uh, looked it up, I can't remember what newspaper. Uh, our good friend, Mr. D'Amato, showed me this. So apparently in some trade magazine, there was like obituaries, and the obituary was for the Iron Sheik. Yet the picture in the article is of the Sheik. Really? Yeah. Do your fucking homework. I don't care if you think wrestling's fake. Do your fucking homework. Bunch of assholes. So That's bad journalism right there. That's terrible. I don't give a fuck if you don't take wrestling seriously. Do your fucking job right. It's a state of journalism in America anyway. <laughs> That's true. So he adopted the gimmick. He shaved his head, grew that, you know, that mustache that he used to twirl. And, of course, the awesome uh, curled boots, the curled toe boots. Uh, do you know who came up with the idea for the curled toe boots for him? Jimmy Snuka. I didn't know that either. I did not know that. that the curl toe boots are awesome. Uh, yeah. He also introduced the per the clubs, the Persian clubs. Um, and, of course, at the time in the late 70s, of course, Iran was slowly, you know, being known on a world stage as, um, you know, uh, once the Ayatollah came in and they were, you know. Um, so he received attention as a heel because of that. Uh, his his heel his name at the time uh, was not uh, the Iron Sheik it was the Great Hossein Arab. Um, his first championship was the Canadian Tag Team Titles with the Texas Outlaws as his partner. He wrestled in Japan. He took on Steve Day and Tony Onoki in 1978. Uh, Vince Senior caught his eye in 1979 and he made his debut. Uh, on June 4th, 1979, and he won a 20-man uh, over-the-top rope battle royal. On the same night, Tito Santana made his MSG debut. June 4th, 1979, Hossein Arab won a 20-man $10,000 battle royal by eliminating a bunch of guys. Uh the stipulation stated the winner would earn a world title shot with Bob Backlund later on in the show. It was the first, and by the way, Dr. G, the first battle royal ever at MSG was that battle royal. Am I crazy? I didn't know that. I didn't either. June 4th, 1979. Here, here's who was in the battle royal. So it was Hussein Arab, Dominic Danucci, Jimmy Valiant, Gorilla, The Hammer, Greg Valentine, Ivan Putsky. Haystacks Calhoun, Nikolai Volkov, Steve Travis, throw a jobber in there, Jose Estrada, who had just wrestled Tito Santana in the opener, Gypsy Rodriguez, <laughs> I want to find a Gypsy Rodriguez t-shirt, SD Jones, <laughs> Mr. X, Johnny Rods, actually, what's his real nickname? What's that? The Incomparable? The Unpredictable Johnny Rods. Oh, unpredictable. Uh... I lost my place. Baron Mikel Cicluna, Tito Santana, the uh, Valiant Brothers, who at the time were the tag team champions, Johnny and Jerry, Bulldog Brower, and the North American champion, Ted DiBiase. Of course, the North American championship would be the precursor to the uh, to the Intercontinental title. So later on That's in the night... Uh, Rio de Janeiro, you know. He did. What a tournament. Oh, my God. You gotta find that on DVD. Maybe they'll put it on Blu-ray. Um... So later in the night, Hossein Arab got a title, got a shot at um, uh, World Wrestling Federation champion Bob Backlund. 
Ugh. How embarrassing. Prior to the bout, Arnie Skolin and Captain Lou Albano, who was subbing for Freddie Blassie, accompanied Backlund and Arab, respectively, to ringside. As Albano went to leave ringside, he went up to Vince McMahon and threw his drink in Albano's face. That was pretty good. Um, the match, uh, obviously, Bob Backlund beat Arab with an atomic drop. You want to know how long the match was? 30 uh, minutes and 40 seconds. Wow. So immediately, people took notice that Hussein Arab was a guy that can be reckoned with. Um, I don't know. It was on the MSG network. So I imagine that match is probably somewhere, right? You think? That'd be a I fun would match to find. We should probably look. I'm sure if you look up on YouTube, it's got to be somewhere. Yeah, I think. I mean, that's a match. I think that that'd be fun to watch. Bob Backlund and Hussein Arab from June fourth, nineteen seventy nine, for the World Wrestling, the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. No, I guess the the wide was gone by this point. The World Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Champion Bob Backlund and Hussein Arab. The, he beat him with an atomic drop. Are you fucking serious? God, wrestling moves in the seventies were atrocious. <laughs> Imagine getting pinned with an atomic drop. Really? Yeah, Although I guess you could say. Now it's insulting to not get pinned by a DDT. So a DDT is a finisher. It's not a setup move. It pisses me off. Well, um, you know who it was invented by? The DDT was invented by Jake the Snake. And yeah, he doesn't like the fact that people don't use it as a finisher. You know? It should be finisher. It's a fucking insult. It's not a finisher. It's bullshit. So uh, he uh, stuck around. Uh, he feuded with Chief J. Strongbow ugh, and uh, and uh, Bruno San Martino uh, with Da Brun, and then uh, he left in 1980. In April, he went down to Crockett, and that is where he got the nickname, the Iron Sheik. So it is not the Iron Sheik is not a Vince McMahon invented nickname. Jim Crockett and those guys, maybe Jim, maybe Mumbles Torso there, Johnny Weaver, or one of those guys, came up with the Iron Sheik. By the way, Matt Rotella constantly makes fun of Johnny Weaver. Whenever I have Johnny Weaver on my screen, he thinks he looks like, he calls him Mumbles Torso. <laughs> He's a weird look. He's a weird looking guy. Uh, fucking he, he is. Anyway. Um... He wrestled a handful of matches as Hussein Arab and the Iron Sheik. His villainous persona played upon topical events. Of course, the Iran hostage crisis was going on at that point. He quickly began feuding with Jim Brunzel over the Mid-Atlantic heavyweight title, defeating him for the title in May of 1980. He then defended the title in bouts with guys like Brunzel, Sweet, Sweet Ebony Diamond, and Johnny Weaver, speaking of Mumble's torso. And then he lost to Ricky Steamboat in a, oh my God, in a Falls Count Anywhere match in November of 1980. Where the fuck are these matches? Oh, my God. Falls Count Anywhere? Babyface Ricky Steamboat, heel Iron Sheik? Come on. Where is that match, Dr. G? Where is that match, Dr. G? I, I don't know. But you know who that, the, the one that you mentioned, Ebony. Sweet Ebony Diamond? That's, that's Rocky Johnson. <laughs> How about that, huh? How about that? I think The Rock should call himself Sweeter Ebony Diamond. Sweet Ebony. <laughs> Who eventually would go to the WWF. Uh, in February of 81, he began feuding with Blackjack Mulligan. They faced each other in a series of bouts, including cage matches and Texas street fights until May. Then in July, he unsuccessfully challenged Dusty for the world title. And then he left Crockett in uh, August of 81. So he didn't stick around too long. But I would like to see that. Dusty Dusty and Iron Sheik for the world title. Uh I want to find that fucking false count anywhere with it must be a it must it's probably a house show. You probably won't see it. But boy, that'd be a fun match to watch. Ricky Steamboat, Iron Sheik, and a false count anywhere match. Uh, that would be great. See, isn't it funny, Dr. G? And I've I've talked about this with D'Amato a ton of times too. That's why those 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 gimmicks now are shit. Because they don't do like they used to do back in the early 80s, late 70s, when, when you could do false count anywhere and it would just be a fucking bloody war. Now it's just a bunch of rolling around and and it's not the same. It's not no. the same. 
It really isn't. I think the the psychology's not there. The um and again, we have so many gimmick matches now. Gimmick matches were used to end feuds or or even sometimes to begin feuds, but mostly to end a feud. Uh, now they're just used all the time. So it would be nice, you know, a false count anywhere match should be, it should be a fun match and you obviously should be wrestling around the arena, not just around the ring, you know? That's the whole right. point. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's a different, different, different time, you know. But I, 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 I definitely would love to. See, I would, I would love to see if that matches anywhere the, the Ricky Steamboat. But I, yeah, I have to look again, that up on YouTube. Again, you got to understand, like too, if they didn't, there's probably a lot of tapes. Tapes, you know, the tapes were where they said, you know, they bicycle them to different places. They sometimes we record over them, and there's no, you know, not a lot of footage, not as much footage out there as you would think there would be. Hmm. Um, yeah, got to find that. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm making a list here of Iron Sheik matches I'd like to find. And so I'm adding that one. Uh, he would, so after Crockett, well, he went everywhere. After Crockett, he would go to Mid-South. Uh, he left in January of 82. Uh, he made a brief return in October, but he didn't do much. Then, Doctor, you want to talk about a cup of coffee? After that, he went down to your neck of the woods. I don't even remember that, but he was only there for about a month, I think. Yeah, in January of 82, he went to Championship Wrestling from Florida and left after a month. In July of 82, this I remember. In, in he went Georgia. to Georgia for the first time since 74. In May of 83, he won a tournament for the, for the NWA National Television Championship. Not just the TV title, the national TV title. They were mushing all the belts together. He, he, he held it until July, then he lost to Ronnie Garvin. And then Ronnie Garvin and Jake Roberts had a great feud for the TV title in Georgia. And then uh, uh, Sheik left the following month. What do you think about him, like this, Dr. G? Because I didn't realize that he bounced around that many places early on before he hit, went back to the WWF. Yeah, I <laughs> He's mean, a lot like a Stan Hansen kind of guy, right? Or uh, even a Bruiser Brody kind of thing, you know? Yeah, I don't know if it was, was it. He didn't care for the promoters. The promoters didn't care for him, or it was just that that was just his nature. You know, he was more of an attraction. I don't know. You know that uh, that I didn't realize that. You know, until we went over this tonight, that he moved around that much. Right. Um, I do remember him in Georgia, though. That I do remember because I was just kind of really getting into, you know, watching wrestling a lot. I mean, I used to watch right. it a little bit. You know, back in the late seventies, early eighties, with my dad or whatever, but. I remember starting to get into it, you know. Right. We, well, that's when it, this is when I started watching wrestling in June of 83. That's when I started watching. Um, and then right around this time, in June of 83, um, he uh, he returned to the WWF and then wanted to reignite his feud with still the World Wrestling Federation uh, heavyweight champion, Bob Backlund. Uh, on the Christmas Eve episode of All American Wrestling, Backlund accepted Sheik's challenge. He also accepted Sheik's weekly Persian club challenge. He was successful in his third attempt to swing the clubs. And, of course, the Sheik attacked him, injuring his neck because the Sheik is that good. So two nights later, he has those clubs, Bob Backlund. Wasn't it on one of those shows, that the A&E show, where they go to look for Yep. Yep. Um, which is pretty great. December 26th, 1983, Madison Square Garden, the last the last MSG house show before they kind of snazzed up MSG to look like it we would know it to look later in the 80s. Um the the ring was the, the arena was still dark. They still had black ropes and a beat up dark canvas. It wouldn't be till the following month, January of 84. We all know what happened there. We'll get to that in a minute. When they added uh, your favorite ropes, the red, white, and blue ropes, and then MSG looked brighter. We'd get the big MSG mic flag, and the Fink would grab the big thing of mics. Like the MSG setting that we know throughout the rest of the 80s. Um, but December of 83 was the last MSG house show that had that dark kind of old school MSG look. And of course, with Backlund's weakened neck, uh, the Iron Sheik uh, put him in the camel clutch. And tell our casual fans, Dr. G, how what happened at the end of the match. 
What do you mean what happened at the end of the How night? did the match end? How did the match end? Oh, our pal there, Arnold Skolan, threw in the towel. He threw in the towel because he was worried about Bob Backlund's injured neck. So, you want to talk about heel heat? Ayatollah Blassie was his was his nickname, and he had a he put he had like the you know the head gear, you know the headpiece on or whatever, and that awesome green belt with all the little plaques on it, which I think yep. I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna buy that belt now, Doctor. I think I have to buy it now because the plaque will have because there'll be an Iron Sheik plaque on it, which is pretty cool. And the Iron Sheik was the World Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Champion. Wow. I remember that. That was pretty big. And, I, you know, I know that I think Hogan started coming around uh, around that time. But but even though I wasn't the biggest Bob Backlund fan, but I just remember being shocked because it always seemed like he won, you know. So it was like. Right. Exactly. Yep. I agree. And I was it was it was exciting times. I mean, if you really think back to that time, it was kind of exciting. There was a lot that was going on in just that short period of time, that December 83, January 84. Um, uh, it's crazy. So throughout the next month, he would uh, rematch Backlund indecisively at house shows and primarily defended the title against Chief J. Strongbow, Pat Patterson, Salvatore Bologna. Salvatore Bologna got a title shot? As, as uh, Matt Rotella would call him, the pizza man! Salvatore Belomo, pizza man. <laughs> I think uh, Piper called him that too. <laughs> Didn't, was that an episode of uh, TNT when Piper and Orton were co-hosting and <laughs> Salvatore Belomo comes on as a guest and Piper thinks he's the delivery guy? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I love Roddy Piper. Oh, I love it. God bless you, Hot Rod. Um, uh, on national TV... He defeated only jobbers, but wrestled Tito Santana on a live prison broadcast from the Spectrum on January 21st, 1984. Two days later, um, January 23rd, 1984, Madison Square Garden, Sheik was supposed to rematch Backlund. Backlund did not, um, you know, he was injured, supposedly. And replacing him, of course, was Hulk Hogan who had the American-made T-shirt, or Real American. I'm trying to remember what was on the back of it. Five minutes in, Sheik had Hogan locked in the camel clutch. Hogan powered to his feet. Sheik stole on his back, rammed him into the turnbuckles, hit the leg drop, and, uh, of course, Hulkamania was born, and the modern-day WWF, as we know it, launched. The WWF that we became fans of, Dr. J. That's right. Um, this moment is generally considered the launch of Hulkamania, of course. According to the Sheik, Greg Gagne, uh, Vern Gagne offered him $100,000 to break Hogan's leg during the match and go back to the AWA with the WWF title. Though Greg Gagne has disputed this claim. I have to go with Greg Gagne because Vern was not going to give $100,000 to anybody. Um, <laughs> I don't believe that. And Iron Sheik has said he was never going to do it. He was he he did the right thing. He was a transitional heel champion. Little Vince Jr. was strapping it onto the... Uh, to the red and yellow, and that was that. Uh, uh, it was a smart move. <laughs> I mean, yep. um, but Sheik was a great heel, and even though he held the belt for a month, it's okay. It's okay. Um, then uh, he would transition from Hogan, and we have another great match that I believe is on um, uh, Peacock. And if it's not, it's definitely on. Uh, it's definitely on YouTube. He then would transition because we needed to get some U.S. Iran stuff. He then <coughs> he would feud with Sergeant Slaughter. He won some DQ matches, but then of course the big match, July twenty third, nineteen eighty four, the boot camp match. That match is fucking awesome. If it you've is. never watched it, I know you have, Doctor. That match is amazing. July 23rd, it's on my it's on my GWWE Top 100. In fact, I have two Iron Sheik matches. Him losing to Hogan, because for historical purposes. And that match, from July 23rd, 1984. I think it's July 23rd. Maybe it's June 16th. Ooh, I gotta look that date up. Shit. I'm not going with though. So. I have to look that date up. It's either June 16th or July something. June or July, 1984. Sergeant Slaughter 
and the Iron Sheik in a boot camp match. And that match is awesome. You want to talk about blood and violence? Um, Slaughter pulls Sheik's boot off and starts beating him in the face with a point. I mean, that was awesome. Sheik's choking him with the Iranian flag. Oh, my God. The heat was off the charts. It was. It's hard to get heat like that now. It's hard. Next to Piper. Well, you know what? Patriotism was different at the time. But, yeah, it's that stuff was just... It was off the hook. I mean, in the WWF at that time, the mid-card was just as hot as the... You know, main events, the main events. Yep. If you think about it. Yep. I mean, yeah, you, you, you know, Junkyard Dog, his feuds, you know, like you just had really good mid card um, wrestling at that time. Yep. You absolutely did. I agree with you 100%. Totally. Um, and I storylines. I shouldn't say all the wrestling was great. I'm just saying, you know. No, the rest of the, the the in ring was negligible. I guess debatable, depending on who you're watching. Right. You know, you had like Tito and the Hammer, and like those matches were great. Mid, you know, Hogan and somebody depends on what's going on. But I gotta, I gotta. Let me go to my. I should have looked it up while you were talking. That was dumb of me. Um, I'm looking up my GWWE list. And I want to I want to make sure that I want to confirm that date because you you all need to find that match. I'm pretty sure it's on uh, it's on the cock on one of the uh, MSG house shows. But he and Slaughter, I mean, I, that's probably his best feud in his career. I mean, yeah, I think- Hogan, the Hogan thing was just the match for for the title. That wasn't really a feud per se. No. No, 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 no. I mean, Backlund obviously was a good feud as well, yeah. obviously on the championship, but but a, a long term feud. It definitely was uh, Sergeant Slaughter. I mean, you think so? You hear Sergeant Slaughter, you think Iron Sheik, vice versa. Yep, I have to look up, um, go by date. It's one of my earliest matches on my list. Let's see. Uh, let's see. I'm pretty sure it's, uh, uh, let's see. June 6th. June 6th. The June 6th, 19. So it's literally 39 years ago on Tuesday, the day before he died. June 6th, 1984. Sergeant Slaughter and the Iron Sheik in a boot camp match. It was ranked 83 on my list. That match is just, it's just awesome. Gotta watch it. Gotta watch it. No, no, no fans or butts. You gotta watch that match. Bloody. The crowd's just ridiculous. Like those, those 84 through 86 MSG crowds are just, they were just on fire. They were on fire. And guys like the Iron Sheik deserve a ton of the credit for that. You go in that building. And I mean, I went to, I mean, obviously when I was a kid, I went to New Haven Coliseum. You of course went to your venues down in the, your area. And I mean, that was just heat, and he just carried the heat with him because he was—he just—he knew what he was doing. He was a money guy. He knew how to make money. He knew how to make money. He was very good at what he did. Um. Then uh, he would transition to, of course, teaming with uh, Nikolai Volkov under Classy Freddie Blassie. Sometimes they were called the Foreign Legion. I used to call—I called them that on the Police Be Podcast. Jr. and I did. And of course, at the first WrestleMania, he knocked out Barry Windham with Freddie Blassie's cane and won, of course, the World Wrestling Federation World Tag Team Championships from the U.S. Express. Um, uh, it was just, I mean, obviously, the first WrestleMania speaks for itself. Um, wow. Speaking of heel heat, on a side note, we're talking about Piper. That month before... WrestleMania, the they had well there were two house shows because two weeks before there was a house show, but that February eighteenth eighty five that's the war to settle the score. Piper comes in with the pipe band and the and the bagpipes and he's wearing the Hulkamania shirt and then they're wrestling and then Mister T and the fucking cops are getting in the ring. I mean, holy shit, Doctor, what the fuck was going on back then? Uh-huh. I mean, that was just that, that was amazing. 
The fucking cops are coming in. It's chaos. Chaos. The good old days. Yeah. Two great heels. To make a great face, you need a better heel. You do. Exactly. And Pipe. There's no there's no Hogan without Piper. There's no Steve without Vince. There's a lot of others. Um, so they were the tag team champions for a couple of months. Of course, they would, you know, Sheik would tell the crowd to shut up so Nikolai could sing the Russian national anthem. And throwing crap in the ring. Oh, it was just awesome. <laughs> and then he would do the, he would do the Iran number one, Russia number one, and then U.S. Ha, good, he'd spit. Place for the fucking nuts. <laughs> oh my, my favorite, my, still my favorite things. The the uh, the interviews were great when he would when he would tell the cameraman zoom in, then he would flex them. He would do his flexing. Ah, oh. chic promos could be uh, chic promos could be a little questionable in terms. Of they teams. must have had some fun because me, uh, you know, Mean Gene was his best man when he married his yeah. wife. Oh, they were probably fucking hammered, most likely. <laughs> Oh my gosh! I can only imagine. We saw some outtakes. Could you imagine seeing? Oh some, my god! Even more of them. What the, what went yeah, on? Yeah, he, he used to say some very questionable uh, promos when he called uh, when he called Mean Gene a fine Jew businessman. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy! Oh my god! I remember when we talked. Uh, he called. Uh, no, I'm not going to get it when he called John Deere dog. I won't go there. Nobody will take that. Nobody will. You know, it's, it's a 45 year old story, but whatever. Anyway, um, so you know, and then he would actually be in the Goonies video. Um, he would be on the Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. Nikolai, <laughs> I had the Iron Sheik uh, rubber rubber guy. Remember the rubber action figure? Oh yeah, figures? I had an Iron Sheik. He was hard to use though because he would flex an arm and he was tough to use. Although he the 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 Iron Sheik figure. Had my favorite tights. Remember, like the three quarter tights that said Iran down the side? Yeah. Those were my favorite Iron Sheik tights. Those are my favorites. I love when he wore those. And those were the ones he, that were on the, the action figure. It was pretty cool. Like when he, twi- when he twirled the mustache. Pretty great. He was, he was awesome. During 1986, of course, Fred Blassie was winding down his career. He sold his wrestler's contracts to Slick. Sheik and Volkov would now be managed by them. The Sheik was participant. Of course, Sheik was in the Battle Royal at WrestleMania 2 in Chicago. He got eliminated by Bruno, which was pretty funny. Um, this is a very infamous story. I was talking to the story with uh, our friend Ron the other night. So in May of 87, uh, Sheik and Hacksaw Jim Duggan, obviously they were feuding at the time, were pulled over by Jersey cops on their way to a house show at the Meadowlands, suspecting Duggan of DUI. After a search of the vehicle and them, Duggan was high on weed, and Sheik did some bumps of coke. How 80s. Um, And they found some coke in the vehicle. Duggan got a conditional release. Sheik was placed on probation for a year. The mini scandal that erupted, um, this is what pissed off Vince even more. Fuck the getting arrested. Everybody got that. But it it was revealed that you had a baby face and a heel in the car together. Yep. Kayfabe, man. Kayfabe. That's what pissed Vince off. She got booted, and Duggan uh, got suspended from TV for a while. And they, of course, Sheik and Volkov were feuding with Duggan. Before the Sheik's release from the company, he and Volkov beat the Killer Bees by DQ at WrestleMania 3 in front of 93,000 at the Silverdome. Um, after Sheik's arrest, he worked on house shows against Duggan, and he left the WWF in October of 87. Um, then, uh, and I'm watching him now in late 87, he went down to world-class in Dallas. He feuded with Matt Bourne over the, over the Texas heavyweight title. He actually attacked Kerry Von Erich in a match at reunion arena against Brian Adias. He was only there for a little bit and then he left, went back to the AWA for a bit, wrestled slaughter again. So they tried to kind of dip into that, uh, fountain again. Then he went down to the WWC, the World Wrestling Council. That's, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Carlos Colon's, yeah, Carlos Colon's promotion in Puerto Rico. 
um, feuded with Slaughter and he teaming with Colonel De Beers. His main opponent was Tony Atlas, who he feuded with the World Class and down in Puerto Rico. Um, in February of 88, the Sheik came back to the WWF, defeated S.C. Jones in a house show at the Meadowlands, wrestled on house shows in February and March, beating Lanny Poffo, Ken Patera, he would wrestle Bam Bam Bigelow. Um, he would not appear on TV, though, until July when he beat Scott Casey in a match that aired on primetime. He continued to wrestle that summer. He faced Casey as well as Richard Charland and the Red Rooster on house shows. Who the hell was Richard Charland? No uh, idea. Uh, oh, he was one of the... Oh, he was Canadian. Looks like he was one of... Demoli he was in Demolition, I guess. Okay. In Canada? Interesting. Um, he wrestled that summer. Uh, wrestled the Red Rooster. During his matches, comments were regularly made about the Sheik's weight gain and diminished mobility. Sheik also cut promos to challenge Macho Man Randy Savage. Nothing came of it. Ultimately, the return was short-lived and he left in July. Uh, on your birthday, February 25th, 1989, he went back to Crockett. At the time, it was now, now kind of officially WCW. Uh, he challenged Ricky Steamboat. Maybe he wanted to get back for that uh, false count anywhere match. Uh, he challenged Sting to the Persian Club uh, thing. Um, Sting admitted Sheik won. They had a match at Music City Showdown. Sheik was defeated by Sting with the time as TV champion. He would align with Ron Simmons, then would turn on him. Um, he was training Simmons, looking for a tag team partner. The the uh, angle was dropped when Simmons went on to be, you know uh, team with Doom. Sheik finished his WCW tenure initially uh, wrestling Norman the Lunatic in January of ninety. The Sheik would return after a seven-month absence following Ole Anderson's uh, uh, promotion to Booker. A lapse in issuing a contract notice allowed Sheik's one-year deal to accidentally roll over, and he continued to work with the company. At the Great American Bash in 1990, he faced Mike Rotunda in a loss. He wrestled some other guys on the house show circuit, Vader, Brad Armstrong, Terry Taylor, in the fall and winter of 90. His final match was against the JYD. Oh, God, that match could not have been good. Oh, on January 26, 1991, in Columbia, South Carolina. Huh. Then, of course, he came back to... The WWF in 1991, he aligned himself with heel Sergeant Slaughter and Colonel Mu and uh, General Adnan, but he was now calling himself Colonel Mustafa. Um, did they acknowledge that he was the Iron Sheik and he changed his name, or were they trying to think he was somebody else? I, I'm trying to remember that. I'm trying. You know what? I don't. I'm trying to remember that too. I, I don't. I think they were just. They didn't even mention that he was the Iron Sheik. I'm pretty sure. But I, I'd have to go back and watch some of that stuff to remember. Yeah. Um. It was not a great ending for him. <laughs> no. Um, of course, uh, you know, he was feuding with Hogan in the Ultimate Warrior. And then, of course, Slaughter turned face after SummerSlam. Mustafa remained in line with Adnan, dropped down the card. It was losing matches to baby faces all over the place. Um, he would challenge... Um, he would be in the 92 Rumble match. Um, he left the w Adnan left the WWF. Mustafa would just kind of be floating around for the last few months. He was at a Superstars taping in May of 92. He beat Reno Riggins, and then he left again. Uh, took some years off. Came back in late 96 to manage. He teamed with his old nemesis, Bob Backlund, and managed the Sultan. Remember that? In 1996 and 97? Um, the Sultan, of course, was... Was that... Uh, Oh, that was Fatu under a mask. The Sultan was Rikishi under a mask. I was thinking Quang, but Quang was, um, I was thinking, uh, what's his face? The Puerto Rican wrestler. He was in Los Bariquas. What the hell's his name? Crap, I can't remember his name. I'm brain farting. Anyway, uh, he was Quang. He was, oh, shit. I got his face in my head, too, and I can't think of it. He wrestled Steve, He wrestled Stone Cold in the... Strap match. What the fuck is his name? I'm totally brain farting what the fuck his name but, is. Anyway. Uh, oh, gosh, I'm brain farting too. No, I can't uh, think of his name. Why? Oh, God damn it. I'm sure everyone's listening and yelling at me that I can't remember his name. Um, shoot me in the head. Um, oh, jeez. Anyway, um, it's not him anyway. The Sultan was was Rikishi. Um, um, Ovega. Oh, Savio Vega. Savio Vega. Oh, it's not him anyway. The whole point is, what's sad is we couldn't think of a statement. It's not even him we're talking about. Anyway, 
Um, uh, so he would manage the Sultan with Bob Backlund in 97, and he would, he would uh, feud with uh, The Rock, Rocky Maivia. He also, for a time during the summer of 97, co-managed Tiger Ali Singh with Ali's father, father Tiger Jeet Singh. By year's end, he had failed another drug test uh, and was released. So, obviously, in the late 90s, Sheik was having some serious drug issues. Um, um, yeah. So, uh, at WrestleMania X7, of course, this was the big funny gag. He won the gimmick Battle Royal uh, match, you know, with all these old school guys, if you remember. Rather than being booed, the villain is Sheik. Uh, was cheered as a fan favorite, and he eliminated uh, Hillbilly Jim. Of course, they couldn't. Everyone thought that if he got eliminated, he'd probably snap a hip. Um, he was walking down the ring so slow that Bobby Heenan said, "By the time he gets to the ring, it'll be WrestleMania 38." So there was a big. Um, uh, when I was in Dallas two years ago for WrestleMania, the guys were holding signs that said, "Is the Iron Sheik here?" <laughs> it was pretty funny. Um, in 2005, of course, before WrestleMania 21 in LA, uh, the Sheik was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame, and Sergeant Slaughter inducted him. Of course. That was the Hulk Hogan class and all of his heels. Do you remember that class? It was like Hulk Hogan and every guy he feuded with for, for the, like the next five years. Yep. Piper, Orton, Orndorff, uh, Sheik, Volkov. Like every guy that Hogan wrestled between 84 and 89, uh, <laughs> it was in that class. It's pretty funny. Sheiky baby. They should have beat the shit out of him. <laughs> Imagine they all just beat the crap out of him on, on, the, on the stage. It would be pretty great. <laughs> anyway. Uh, on the June 11th, I didn't remember this. On the June 11th, 2007 episode of Raw, he and Jimmy Snuka appeared on a tape segment following, uh, showing their appreciation of Vince. Um, the following week, he approached McMahon's executive assistant, Jonathan Coach, about having his own interview show. Coach replied, saying, I like the idea, and we'll take some time to consider. Of course, it didn't happen. By then, he wasn't wrestling anymore. So, um, he... Uh, uh, he was a uh, some of his personal life. He, there was a there's a documentary on him on Netflix called The Sheik. It's very good. It's a little disturbing, um, you know, of all of his issues, but but it's it's pretty good. Um, he was in the Imperial Iranian Army. He married uh, Carol Peterson on March twenty first, nineteen seventy six. So his wife's American. Uh, the best man, as we mentioned, uh, was Mean Gene. Of course, he called him Gene Mean. Gene Mean. Gene mean. His eldest daughter. Marissa was murdered by her boyfriend, Charles Warren Reynolds, on May 2003 at the that, age of that uh, Reynolds was taken into custody and later convicted. He killed himself on May 31st, 2016. He had two other daughters and five grandchildren. Despite promising to repair his family, this is the sad part, you know, Viziri was unable, or Sheik was unable to successfully quit drugs. In 2005, he, the family believed he was a danger to himself and others and forced him into rehab. An employee allegedly snuck in coke for him. That's nice. In 2007, uh, she walked out on him after several failed attempts to make him quit drugs. She returned two years later on the condition that he severed ties with a friend who helped him acquire them. In 2016, Viziri said he had been off cocaine for four years. He was doing, I think he was smoking crack, too. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, all right. Um, in August of 2013, I don't think I've ever seen this. Iron Sheik's managers, Paige and John Megan crowdsourced over $40,000 to write, direct, and produce a documentary, Iranian Legend, The Iron Sheik Story. Yeah, Originally, the documentary was scheduled for 2008 release. Uh, was Yeah, so it was the same documentary. So, Yeah. Um, on his yeah, it's, 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 it's great. He did not, uh, his managers obviously handled the account. He never wrote the tweets himself, but, so you can, you can thank John and Paige Megan for hate for fucking the Mondays. Okay. I think my favorite ever was, uh, and the Oscar goes, to, and the Oscar for best best picture goes to go fuck yourself. <laughs> go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. Um, the big thing about Sheik, and then of course, sadly, he passed away uh, this past Monday. Um, he's in the uh, WWE Hall of Fame. He's in the Observer Newsletter. Most underrated wrestler in 1980. Uh, he was one, and this is actually pretty good ranking. Consider him all the guys. Um, the all time PWI years, top 500, he was 134. It's pretty good. Yeah. 
He was 134, and he earned it. Um, do you want Shiki Baby uh, hoodie? I do. I want a Shiki Baby. It's expensive, though. Jesus. It's like 80 bucks, right? The one on that site? Yep. Um, they need to make a shirt that says, Camera Man, zoom in! Um, um, uh, just, what are your memories as a kid? Like, what do you remember most about about Sheik, about the Iron Sheik? Like I said, I remember him doing the Persian clubs, those uh, boots, and uh, really, honestly, even though, you know, he was the guy that Hogan beat, obviously, you remember that. That's probably everybody's memory, but I remember him being in the tag team with Nikolai. They always seemed like they were on Saturday night's main event. They were just that great heel tag team, putting those two together. I thought that was smart. Very and, smart. Um, I just loved the heat that mm-hmm. he got. And yeah. obviously, I you know, obviously remember the, the boot camp matches with with um, Sergeant Slaughter. Yep. Um, but, you know, more than anything, and it seemed like in recent years after he was able to quit doing cocaine and stuff, he was he was a family man. He, he loved his grandkids. Yeah. Kids. I mean, obviously, you know, his wife really loved him and stayed with him through everything. So, I mean, you have to. Uh, uh, it's a guy that seems like, you know, unfortunately, substances like we see you know, he, when you're in substances, it changes you. But deep down, he's a good guy. And um, he really loved his wrestling fans. And he became, again, like, you know, once Kayfabe went away, he became like a a cult hero, which is kind of funny. Would you ever think that you'd be wanting an Iron Sheik anything? Would you have thought that 35 years ago? I know. 40 years, you know. So it's just, it's one of those guys that, you know, same thing with Roddy Piper. You know, like, they become cult heroes after a while. And you have to respect what they did for the business. Listen, they they may have made some bad mistakes outside the ring and all that, but mm-hmm. if you're just judging them on their actual career itself, I mean, he really had a great career, if you think about it. I mean, he was at the precipice of one of the biggest times in wrestling history, which is the, you know, rock and wrestling, you know, Hulkamania. Yep. And, you know, they all made some good money in those days. Absolutely did. Oh, absolutely did. Yep. I agree. And I think his in-ring, I think his actual in-ring work gets gets totally forgotten. He was a great amateur wrestler, brought a lot of it to the ring, knew how to generate heat. The guy was a great showman, knew how to be a good heel, knew how to piss us all off. And that heat he used to get, I mean, that MS, those MSG crowds, Dr. G, late 83 through 84 into 85, just red hot. You know? He knew how to, just like the hot rod, he knew how to, he really just knew how to piss us off. He was just great at it. He was. You know, and so if there's any Iron Sheik matches that you'd like to, that that you want to find, I suggest, and I'm going to look it up myself when we're done, uh, try and find that, that June 4th, 1979 MSG house show where he won the Battle Royal and then wrestled uh, Bob Backlund 30 minutes for the world title. I really want to find that that November eighty Falls Count Anywhere match for the for the uh, TV title was it the TV title I think um, between um, uh, no Mid Atlantic Heavyweight title sorry the Mid Atlantic Heavyweight title between him and Steamboat I doubt that's anywhere unless somebody you know um, you know unless they did have a camera I can't imagine if it wasn't televised I doubt they did but that sounds like that match was a brawl. Um, obviously the, you know, his win over Backland, which I don't think I've seen the whole match in a long time. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I saw the whole match. I always see the, you know, the end with the tape, with the towel. Obviously the match with Hogan was fun. Uh, but, de- but, and definitely, definitely find that June 84 MSG house show match. The boot camp match with Slaughter. So good. Place is batshit. Batshit that night. I contend, Doctor. And Jr. and I talked about it on the Place Me podcast when we did that, but we didn't do '84. We were we we were asked to do it. We wanted to start in '85 when the pay per view era started. But 
the 84 MSG house shows, there are some good shit in those in that year. Yeah. I contend 84 and MS, those MSG shows in 84 loaded with heat. And of course, you know, Piper smashing fucking out Captain Lou with the gold record. And, uh, one thing I'll say about, about Vince, because in Crockett, there were cool heels. Like, we all love Flair. We didn't care that he was a bad guy. We love Flair. But there was not one bad guy anybody loved in the WWF in those years. Vince knew to make you love the baby faces and hate the heels. But now looking back, we can appreciate it better as, as older fans. Uh, particularly the Iron Sheik and, and the Hot Rod. You want to talk about two guys who just knew how to just absolutely infuriate you. Whether it was just giving you shit when coming in the ring or actually winning the match by, by you know, just ridiculous cheating. Um, they just knew what to do, you know? Yeah, it's it, it's just a true, you know, probably one of the best heels of all time. That's it really is. He really is. That, I mean, that's how you have to remember him. Yep. He brought it. He brought it. He did. USA, ha, puh. Yep. And him and Nikolai, the foreign legion. Fuck the Mondays. Fuck the Monday. Well, thank you. Thank you, Sheik. Sheiky, because we all want to fuck the Mondays. But, so we hope you enjoyed our, our special episode of the NWA Saturday special. Nothing on the end. Well, we did talk some Crockett. But, uh, you know, again, uh, this past Tuesday was not even a power they just replayed on YouTube some of the pre-show matches from the Crockett Cup over the weekend, and we didn't feel like rehashing those again. And it was fitting, you know, that we could do a nice tribute. Um, a nice tribute. Uh, um, for the Sheik. Um, uh, you know, if you go over to the no-so... Uh, oh, uh, the, <laughs> uh, Ryan Gray and, uh, Keithy, Keith Langston, they also did one, so they did a tribute, so if you want to have a chic day, feel free to listen to that, uh, uh, that tribute pod as well, to go along with Dr. G and I, um, you know who else died, uh, on a, on a, on a, on a lesser note, The Gambler, no, not Kenny Rogers, he's already dead, um, there was a wrestler called The Gambler, I forgot his, I don't know who he was, but, I don't know, he died too. You know what's funny, Doctor? Maybe it's just me, but I felt like Sheik dying, it's at that level. Like, there were three times, I mean, not counting Eddie and Owen, because I cried those, because those were just tragic. But the day that Savage died, the day Piper died, and the day Dusty died, I cried. I almost did it the other day. But, because I think the Iron Sheik belongs in that crew of, of beloved... 80s guys that we grew up with um that are not with us anymore you know um he is definitely one of the faces of the beginning of my fandom 83 84 85 86 you know well uh, he also is you know one of those guys that you remember for not only ushering on Hulkamania, but having those great feuds with, like, to me, I just, I associate him with Sergeant Slaughter. I mean, yep. you got to name the one opponent. And, you know, here's a guy that was, you know, a tag team champion and a world champion in the WWF, which... You know, at that time, remember, they didn't really have a lot of heel champions. It was always the right. in the New York territory. So, right. And yeah, granted, I mean, anytime they had a heel champion, it was usually a transitional champion. But right. he was at a pivotal time. And they needed to somehow, they needed to get it off Backlund without having Backlund be a heel at that time. Correct. And that was the best way to do it. Yep, totally. I agree with you 100%. Well, I'll tell you, I think they could have, I, I, I don't know if he wanted to do it at that time, and then he wanted to be a great heel. Bob Backlund, he probably would have 
stayed in the WWF had he maybe if they would have decided to turn him heel at that time. Uh, yeah. Think about if he could have had that same heel character when he was actually at that time a little younger, obviously. Um, he could have maybe had a nice run with Hogan. Bob Backlund was an awesome heel. Would you have guessed that when you watched his crap when he was when no. he was champion? He was so milk toasty boring, and then boy, he became this total heel and became such a great interview, you know. <laughs> it's so weird. It's like he had this untapped talent. That I think I do not was, see he would have had a better career at you know. Think about it. Once he left the WWF, his career pretty much was done. I mean, I know I know he wrestled in independence, and I think he was in AWA for a little bit, but he never attained the success. But I think about wow, what a, what a feud that those two had just to even to set up the whole Hulkamania era, right? And then, and then Shiki just Shiki had a good run there. I mean, you would say from you know end of eighty three till eighty six, eighty seven, maybe. Yeah, eighty seven. Oh yeah, eighty seven. Yeah. Um. Let's see. This says five twelve. I do not see, and that sucks. I do not see the uh, the MSG um, from nineteen seventy nine. That sucks. That sucks. Um. Anyway, uh, the uh, I'm gonna have to keep looking because it's got to be somewhere. Um. Of course, the the uh, win over Backlund, the loss to Hogan, and the boot camp match, I think, are all on the cock. Pretty sure they're all on the cock. So, um. The Battle Royal WrestleMania 2, the match with the Bees at, at WrestleMania 3, and great, great promos. Um, we'll miss you, Shiki baby. We're going to miss you. We're going to miss your Twitter. And I hope his managers just stop it, because we don't want to see Iron Sheik promo tw- tweets anymore. It's That's stupid now. <laughs> Even in Fuck heaven, them. Fuck the Mondays. <laughs> um, so we hope you enjoyed this little look back at the career and some of our favorite memories of arguably one of the greatest heels of all time and one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, the Iron Sheik. And again, uh, check out Keith Langston and uh, Ryan Gray over on um, on the No So. They did a nice retrospective in, in, uh, on him as well. So listen to both of them. I, I thought I think this I think you and I were awesome tonight and, I, and they were great as well. So uh, go watch some Sheik. I think there's a playlist on. Uh, I think there's a playlist on the cock. I think WWE. did. Yeah, that. I was watching some of it, remembering the Iron Sheik. Yeah, pretty great. That world class on there, and yep. I just wa- I watched that today. It was it was an episode of World Class from December of '87, and they were showing a reunion arena match: Kerry Von Erich against Brian Adias, and Kerry, um, Kerry. Uh, then they had the, the the slaughter match from June yep. 16, yep, 1984. <laughs> So, um, all right. So just to let everyone know now, of course, since we're doing a show tonight, there will be no Saturday special tomorrow morning. We're giving it to you today, Friday, if you're listening. So uh, obviously follow uh, the brand on Twitter um, uh, and uh, at PTBN Wrestling. Follow the Doctor and I on Twitter. Uh, we have great stuff coming up uh, this weekend. We did not have a main event this week. We were supposed to have one today. Uh, we had to do some rescheduling, so uh, either next week or on our regularly scheduled two weeks from now, we'll have another episode. We'll have a new episode of the main event because we were going to have a nice roundtable discussion. It was not going to be a – we had a good topic we wanted to discuss, and we wanted to make sure all three of us, me, Nate, and Steve, wanted to make sure we were all together for it. So we will we will do that either next week or the week after. But we got great stuff coming up throughout the month of June, and uh, so check it out on the PTB Wrestling Network, com, and all of your Podbean catchers, Apple – Apple Pods, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you go. Have a wonderful weekend. Uh, Dr. G and I will probably join you again. Well, we're definitely going to join you again. We'll go back to a regular Saturday morning. Hopefully, Billy and the NWA have something fresh for us this week. I'm sure they will. 
Uh, other than that, have a great week, and we'll talk to you next uh, Saturday morning. I'm Scott. He's the doctor. You're not. Fuck the chows. I got a new podcast called Go Fuck Yourself.